Hey, everybody, it's your old pal, Maddie. Just a quick production note. This being the movie Poltergeist, how perfect. Tony and I had all kinds of technical problems recording this episode, not being able to record it on our normal app that we use for podcast recording. It just would not work. So we did it via Zoom. So although our mics are good and we sound okay, there is some, I guess, background noise, computer type white noise that you'll hear a little bit in the background of this recording. So it's not quite up to our usual quality, but enjoy. It's good enough. This house is clean. We, we just had the uh, Poltergeist curse. This movie is supposed to be cursed, and we might have been cursed because this is our third attempt to record this. Not that anyone will ever know that other than us, but uh, that's what we're going through this evening. It was, this was hard to get organized. Thanks a lot, Dan Shackner. Puppy Bowl. Who knew Puppy Bowl had such pull in the supernatural world? He's so dark. He's who knew? He's a he's a he's a puppy lover who loves uh, poltergeist uh, and hauntings and haunting our computer. Apparently, uh, is missing with us. Stop! What is happening? Well, we are very excited. I'm Maddie Blake. That's Tony Arkin in Brooklyn. Uh, I'm at the Blake Estate in Rhode Island. We rate and review paranormal themed film and television. We are on our Halloween, our run up to Halloween. So we're doing. Movies that have a particularly scary Halloweenish vibe as we head up into Halloween. This is our second of the series, submitted by listener Dan Shackner, the Puppy Bowl ref. It is Poltergeist, and we can't wait. We also have an announcement this evening, very important announcement. Oh yeah, in regards to this podcast, and we're also going to get into a little bit of the history in terms of because Dan brought it up in his voicemail message to us when he recommended this movie. He recommend he he mentioned the actual family that this is based on. So I want to get into that right. just a little bit up front. But first, how about a little P4P announcement? Time for the Rated P for Paranormal Big Announcement. Um, are we recording? I don't yes. know. Okay, actually, actually, tonight, I don't know. We really don't know. Okay, is, so... If you're hearing this, it's a special time. Anthony and I were approached by a uh, big shot producer, Hollywood-type New York City guy, uh, creator of television, uh, working on a project right now with Sci-Fi Network, and your favorite hosts of your favorite podcast, Rated P for Paranormal, will be appearing on Sci-Fi Network's digital platforms and social media as we become talking head experts on paranormal films as it relates to Halloween. They're doing this special push so we can't wait. It's a huge opportunity for us. Uh, you're going to see us on on Sci-Fi's um, social media and digital platform. I'm very excited, Tony. That was a lot of fun. It was a great interview, and they were they were really they were really welcoming, and it was a blast. And someone thinks of us as an expert on anything is actually paranormal in itself. It's crazy. I mean, thank God that other those other experts got fell ill, <clears throat> or we wouldn't have yeah. had the uh, job. Let's just say accidents happen. That's the kind of thing that goes on in the paranormal biz. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Well, uh, so look for that. We will definitely link to our appearance on Sci-Fi uh, with you know our social media, and and we'll play a clip of it here probably on the show. I think definitely we will. So it's kind of like the next step that you hope for when you do something like this to just to get a wider audience. That's all we want at the end of the day is just more people to hear us and participate. Right. I mean, we did stuff for the Home Depot channel, but it seemed like a bad fit. Do you know I was? Don't ask why. But I was looking up NASCAR races today, like names of NASCAR races. And there was like the Home Depot 350. It sounds like I'm making it up. Like some of the names of the races, it was literally like, you know, the Roto-Rooter 1250. I'm like, what the? The real story here is that it seems like if you have like a minute and a half of free time, you're going to shove sports into your face, like somehow. I had to look up. Oh, it's a long story. It has to do with the radio show I've been doing. I had to look up NASCAR race names. Okay. I've never heard you talk about race car driving, so maybe that's not a sport you follow? Not at all. No. No clue. No clue. I used to have a joke in my stand-up act about that I saw. uh, Remember Nextel phones? Yeah. Like that. Sure. They had a NASCAR series, and the advertisement said new, you know, NASCAR-themed cell phones, now with international calling plans. And I would say, uh, you know, I don't know who designed this campaign, but something tells me if you want a NASCAR cell phone, you ain't making any international calls. <laughs> no, it's local, in-county only. Yeah, yeah. It's a very judgy joke, but I liked it. Hey, they don't do NASCAR uh, anywhere else, do they? Maybe they do. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. think so. What do I, I know? No, that yeah, they do uh, Formula One. Sure, um, sounds great. Well, we're burying the lead, Tony. So that's our big news. But let's get into Poltergeist. Uh, This is an all-time classic uh, based loosely on a true story. So let's talk about the Hermans from Seaford, Long Island, New York. I assume most of you who listen to this podcast, you're into film. So you know Poltergeist. But you might not know that it was partly based on a true story. Uh, This James Herman, and my source is The Nerdist, uh, James Herman received a telephone call at work from his wife, Lucille. She informed him that uh, their teenage children, Jimmy and Lucy, heard a series of popping sounds coming from various spots around the house. And that's very common, Tony, like poltergeist activity starts with sounds Mm -hmm. a lot of times. And then it moves into things moving and then it gets nasty. But It's interesting because popping sounds are talked about in um, high strangeness cases involving uh, other types of visitations as well. Crackling and popping sounds. Interesting. Uh, So they investigate. They found uncapped bottles of several substances completely upended in many different rooms, including a vial of holy water, which had spilled all over a dresser. So Herman, who's skeptic, uh, he just tells his family, stay calm, keep this down. It's got to be some prankster teenager friend of yours or something trying to spook us. Stop for a second. He dubois that, (laughs) didn't he? In a real life... It's real. Okay, fine. But now see, <laughs> that's one incident. Okay. A Dubois by definition. Uh, now I get to hit my up. And now it's time for Maddie's term of the day. <laughs> a Dubois by definition has to be after a unbelievably obvious event or series of events. The character still goes, now hold on you. Don't let your imagination... Like, I just watched a seven-foot poltergeist walk in and punch your daughter in the face. That's those hooligans from across the street again. 
You were just you just ate too late last night. You had a bad dream. <laughs> you went swimming after lunch. What's wrong with you? Your stomach was unsettled. <laughs> so he's a he's a skeptic and he just calms things down. But just five days later, it happens again. The next day, it happens again. This time, Mr. Herman, Mr. Skeptic, watches in horror as bottles moved by themselves about his bathroom as if dragged by an unseen hand. This time, he panics and calls the police, which to me, Tony, much like many UFO cases when people panic in a panic state call the police, lends it credibility to me. Because if you're making up a paranormal event, you know, you would film or you would call people a priest maybe to make it more dramatic or something. to call the cops in a state of panic to me just adds i'm not saying it proves it's true but just adds a little credibility it to me lends a lot of credibility to me as well i mean because really frankly the last thing you really want to resort to under any circumstances is to call the police about anything i mean right. nobody really wants to do that and it, it, uh, it speaks to a, a higher state of panic because what are the police going to do with bottles moving around in your room right right like you just you you cannot you you can't control yourself like you just have to reach for the phone and get bingo help. So, you just need yeah. some outside agency of some kind to bring you comfort so the police arrive they start going around to try and find maybe radio transmissions or any electrical disturbances but they couldn't find anything that could explain it and on february 17th in kind of a last desperate attempt they bring in a priest to bless the home meanwhile news of this paranormal activity is spreading like wildfire ends up long story short becoming an article in life magazine more activity occurred and officers witnessed objects moving outside people saw things moving they were the only people who ever lived there there was nothing to indicate the unfinished business of some previous tenant dr jb ryan director of duke university's parapsychology laboratory hoped to find out he approached the hermans ryan believed that the presence of the teenage herman children might have attracted whatever these things were and he brought some of his colleagues to the house and they studied it interviewing the family and recording some incredible occurrences however shortly after their work at the house the activity stopped completely tony it just ceased all in all there are about 70 documented reports a very strange paranormal activity in the house between February 3rd and March 10th. The family moved away. Years later, the daughter, Lucille, appeared in documentary Real Fear, The Truth Behind the Movies, which aired on the uh, Chiller Network. Now, fans of our film, Poltergeist, might recognize some of the connections there, although it was definitely kind of amped up. A another weird thing about this case is very close to the Amityville haunting. Yeah, like nine miles away, right? Yes, correct. So that's kind of odd, um, but it's funny, uh, Lucille Herman in that kind of interview, she said, I never watched Poltergeist. She said, I felt like I had my own nightmare. I didn't need to watch a film about it. So, so yeah. that's the basics of the story. I mean, there's more to it than that. It reminds me a little bit of when we did the episode uh, on American Haunting um, about that famous case that took place at a farm. Right. You know, right. kind of similar, although that was a uh, hundred years ago or so. This is the 1950s. Yeah, I mean, probably a little better documented, and um, and also the fact that it took place in a new condo essentially is yeah really weird and yeah directly parallels Poltergeist. There was another uh, a story I think that they drew some stuff from 
around the turn of the century, I think in Colorado. Yes. There was a, a, a horrific situation where they had to move cemetery yes. uh, lots to a new location uh, to build a new city, some kind of city complex, right? Mm-hmm. And for months and months, maybe longer, um, they had contracted this job out to some really shady people, right? Yes. And so the town was overrun by these kind of creepy grave robbers who were exhuming bodies and leaving them out. And it, the whole town just became like this terrifying graveyard with with bones and bodies everywhere and stuff. And they were playing all kinds of crazy shenanigans with the with like the coffins and pieces of... But they just didn't do any of this correctly. And I think this they draw some of that into Poltergeist as well. Definitely, we mentioned that story on a previous yeah. episode. I wish I could remember what episode it was, but the, and then you can people still visit that area. Um, it was almost like a haunted town or neighborhood where yeah. they they built it upon a graveyard, and that that obviously influenced uh, what happens in Poltergeist. Unscrupulous real estate people, Tony. Watch out for them. Mm-hmm. Watch out for that and those HOA dues. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, an all-time classic. The one, the only, Poltergeist. They might be here, but do they hold up, Tony? We're about to find out. I'll be friends with all your friends and you come home with me. I'll be friends with all your Tony, in 1982, audiences were thrilled by the supernatural horror film Poltergeist, directed by Toby Hooper, produced by Steven Spielberg. Heard of him? Released by Metro-Golden-Mayer on June 4th, 1982. It is the first and most successful of the Poltergeist film trilogy and was nominated for three Academy Awards. It's a big one. Chicago Film Critics Association named it the 20th scariest film ever made in film history. Uh, The plot is pretty simple. The Freelings start getting strange paranormal activities happening in their house. Their daughter disappears after watching the static on TV. They are then on a desperate race to save their family and get their daughter back from the evil clutches of some unseen force. Tony, poltergeist. Initial thoughts on your (laughs) rewatch. Okay. Okay. Initial thoughts. This is this isn't going to be as easy as I thought. Ha! Ah, same here. In, really interesting. Same here. I went in thinking slam dunk. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's not, you know, a great movie. I'm not saying that it isn't entirely worth everybody's time and everybody's got to see it, and that it doesn't have, you know, some of the best horror scenes in history in it yeah it it does but it's such a behemoth that i feel like it can take a couple of pot i can take a couple of shots at it there's some problems 
We punch up on this podcast, Tony. Yeah, we totally punch up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it deserves a couple uppercuts. I'll tell you what. Um, I was kind of shocked, actually. I haven't seen it in a while. Seen scenes of it over the years, of course. We all know they're here and the TV and all that. And this house is clear and all that. Um, but there's a lot wrong with this movie. And it's funny. I want to start at the end in terms of making my point here. Um, the film ends with the iconic scene, spoiler alert, we're going to spoil these classic movies. Uh, they get to the hotel, they close the door, and he pushes the TV out. Do you know the first, I don't know if you remember this, but the very first title card you see or, or graphic uh, credit that you see after he pushes the TV out, the very first one. You know, I don't know which one it is. A Steven Spielberg production. Okay. And the reason I think that's significant is because I feel like I almost feel like Steven Spielberg wanted to clarify, like I didn't direct this. I produced this and that's just my wild uh, theory. And I just felt like maybe either a Steven took control of it and what's, and some of what's wrong with it might've been his fault. Like we're going to have a wacky scene of, of a special effect or the opposite is true that, Toby Hooper threw in some stuff that Steven wouldn't have, but I just thought it was kind of odd. Uh, well, you're hitting on a really in interesting point about the movie. Um, how they arrived at that title card, I don't know. Spielberg himself was such a giant star. There hadn't been a director star like that since Alfred Hitchcock. Mm, so they right. could really, they could market movies and entire franchises just with his name on it at that point. Um, because this, we're talking, you know, after Jaws and Close Encounters, he couldn't, he could do no wrong. Do no he wrong. Was just, he was the big. He man. wanted to, and at that period, he was producing or executive producing a lot of different movies, and he gave a lot of different directors their start or gave them a boost. And Toby Hooper was definitely one of those people. He needed a, a boost because he was kind of stuck in Grindhouse a little bit, even okay. after doing um, Texas, Texas Chainsaw, Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Uh, you know, he. <clears throat> I think he uh, had a lot of respect from his peers, but but he needed he, he wasn't in the Hollywood system yet. So right. bringing him in, bringing Joe Dante in to do Gremlins and things like this, right? You know, Zemeckis was another protege or another friend who he helped. So he produced a lot of these movies, and the legends are, from what I've read, and I've read a bit about making this, that it's really hard to parse who directed this movie. Um, and in, 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 in most cases, the people that were interviewed, the people that made the movie, the actors say Steven Spielberg really kind of directed this movie. Mm. Um, but for, and I knew about this for years, but for a long time, I thought the narrative was Toby Hooper couldn't handle it. Okay. Like he wasn't, yeah. he couldn't handle that big a production or that he was making mistakes or that whatever, but I'm starting, as I did research, I started to feel like this was always a Spielberg movie. Yeah. He was going to direct it and then decided to direct E.T. instead, right? But he, I don't even, I think he was even going to give E.T. to somebody else. Like, it was, it was, he was jockeying around to find the movie he wanted to direct entirely. Got it. But he had, he had his fingerprints all over this movie, including all the storyboards, which he did. Or had an artist do based on his sketches. So, Toby Hooper's contribution is a weird topic of discussion, and it's a really important one because 
I think part of what makes the movie great is this weird mishmash of identities here. And also that's part of it's where it stumbles too. So I think you can see where Steven Spielberg became very involved and that's what saves this movie. Not that it needs saving necessarily, but saves it from its lesser elements, which there are a few. Do you think that that's Spielberg? I do. Do you really think that Spielberg saved it or that he, because for me, I feel his contribution in some cases uh, was what was the problem. Okay. So, all right. There are times where we think that he, for example, in Gremlins maybe, put some of the studio things in there that Dante was trying to make a much darker movie, as we said during that review. Mm-hmm. I feel like in this case, so it's, let me say this. I could be completely wrong because the things that I think are wrong with it could have been Spielberg slapping those things in, i.e. some of the special effects and some of the unnecessary things that were in there. But what I think the movie does incredibly well, and I think what makes it special is the reaction to the paranormal activity going on. In other words, the performances. The performances in this movie, it's an actor's movie at the end of the day. And those family reactions and interactions are very Spielberg, I I think, um, based on what he's able to do and make a family believable. And so the performance, I wouldn't think, and I could be totally wrong, Tony, I wouldn't think you'd get that level of performance from a Toby Hooper. If I had to guess between him and Steven Spielberg, I'd say those moments are Spielberg. I would agree. I think, you know, one of Spielberg's talents is, you know, working with actors in a certain tone and genre. Like, outside of that, I don't know how how much skill he has necessarily, mm. but there's a certain tone of, like, the suburban family and the chaos of that family and the kind of reality, the grounding of it. It always feels very real, and that family feels real, you know. I mean, this stuff is, again, 90% casting, and any great director will tell you that. So they cast it really well. I mean, Joe Beth, Beth Williams is one of the great movie moms ever. She's, she's just fantastic, you know. Her performance in this is exquisite. It's just, she's, and in a way, like, she's my, that's Polter, she's Poltergeist to me in a way. Like, that, her performance is is the my favorite reason to go back to this movie in a way. But I also love Craig T. Nelson and I love the their, daughter, their relationship. Her, him, the daughter, not even the blonde daughter, who's great. I mean, oh, well, Heather O'Rourke is amazing. Heather, Heather O'Rourke's the, the older daughter. Dominic Dunn is great. The late Dominic so Dunn. Funny. funny, but also Tony, they're, they're cutaways to her reactions in scenes. For example, there's this incredible acting moment. Let's talk about the performances because it's it's what this movie is, which surprised me in this viewing. It's like this is an acting camp. Like, think about it. All the great moments of this movie, there's nothing going on special effects or anything. It's like the scene where the daughter passes through Joe Booth Williams, right? And her reaction to that. That's an actor in a like you and Amelia's class doing an exercise. Okay. Pretend your daughter passes through you. There's no, there's nothing for her to play off of. It's just yeah, her it's, and a camera. Just, yeah. Just her technical skill and her, Ugh. you know, her heart and everything is fantastic. She just moved through me. My God. I felt her. It's her. It's her. I smell my clothes. It's her. She's all over me. It's her. She's my all over me. It's my baby. She went through my soul. 
it's freaking incredible. But my point is, during that scene, there's a cutaway to the daughter. And so I'm, I'm wowed by Jo Beth Williams' incredible acting performance in that moment, which it is a 10 on a, it's an 11 on a scale of one to 10. Then they cut to the daughter and the daughter's weeping, smiling, shaking her going, yes, yes, yes. And I freaking welled up. I, I'm welling up now thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And it's this two second cutaway to this actor who's not really involved in the scene other than watching it. And it's, that's what makes this movie so special. It's the performances, the performances, the performances, in my opinion. I, 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 I'm not going to argue that with you at all. I, I think there's great work in this movie. And I think sometimes they're badly directed. Give me an I, I don't think that's the actor's fault here. Give me an example. Well, you know, I mean, Spielberg is really famous for what they call like the Spielberg close-up. You know, it's the famous yeah. patented, yeah. you know, a push in or like a track into somebody's face as they're staring in wonderment and awe at yes. you name it. Whatever. On set, it's probably a tennis ball. But in the movie, it could be the Ark of the Covenant or ghosts or aliens and my problem is i don't see any difference here in the reactions they uh it's a patented move that i feel ultimately is based in a certain kind of um panic that the audience isn't going to be completely engaged and completely enamored at every single moment and it doesn't really trust the actors to just do their job sometimes and and those close-ups work brilliantly i think in close encounters and they work less well here because i don't think that reaction is tuned to what these people are looking are at. seeing okay that's fair but i got the exact it's so funny how two people can experience i got the exact same vibe like they didn't again we've said this before they didn't trust us that panic trust that this isn't good enough or scary enough i didn't get that from the actors reactions as, as long as the close-ups even were or whatever, I think they all, for me, it all worked. Where I got that was the added superfluous special effects, i.e. the most painful scene in the film to me is uh, when they bring in the parapsychologist. Zelda Rubenstein. Oh my God, another incredible actor. Uh, she says, don't worry, I, you know, we, we've seen this type of thing before. And the videographer guy says, uh, we got something on tape of a car moving, you know, and Craig T. Nelson just kind of has this silent look like, okay, you have no idea what you're in for. And instead of doing what they do later in the movie, just this horrifying moment of trying to open the door and then hearing a scream and shutting it or not having us see something, which I feel like Spielberg liked to do. He liked to not show us too much and have us use our imagination, i.e. Jaws. But they have the scene where they open the door and it literally becomes Disney's haunted house ride with funny haunted organ and a <laughs> and a Hulk riding a, a horse. And I'm going, this is tonally so far off and the special effects are horrible. And don't give me the excuse that it was the 80s because we've seen scanners and things that did incredible work with special effects. Well, yeah, I mean... To give them benefit of the doubt on that one, they did as good a job as they could do trying to rotoscope that many props flying around the room. Well, that's but part it's, of the a, it's a poor choice. Like, don't yeah. don't do it then. God you need damn. To do that. I, I agree. I think that the effects go go way too far. It becomes an effects driven film at a certain point. Yeah. Um, and some of them even hold up. Some of them are good. It's still and, and yeah. I, that's not really what bothers me so much. Is that the, like you're right? Like the nobody asked for a comedy break here this right. wasn't what what i was expecting now what's weird about it is that 
here's like before we get into like a lot of a lot of details <laughs> this is a strange watch for me because i genuinely uh, like love this movie i've i've seen it a f- you know not as many times as like american werewolf but i've seen it sure. a few times and i own it i've gone back to it over the years and and what i found weird about this movie was that it hadn't changed at all hmm. it wasn't a new movie to me hmm. like hmm. like it i got everything as a 12 year old I, I didn't learn anything new in this viewing as an as an adult, uh, and and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it was just something I noted after watching American Werewolf and like really seeing a new movie uh, that I hadn't really seen before because I wasn't looking closely enough. I didn't feel like this really gave me anything new on a new viewing, and okay, and I don't know. That's that sounds kind of no you know, too picky, but but no. That's probably the mark that. of a great film. A mark of a great film would be that they had other things on their mind, maybe yeah. that you wouldn't pick up. But I did actually pick up. They're not very deep uh, philosophical points, but I did pick up some things that I did not remember and severely shocked me. I.e., number one, just that it's an actor's movie. In between the stuff they didn't need, I'd love to see a director's cut of this movie or or a Maddie cut where you I'd got like rid to see of Toby every... Hooper's cut. Well, maybe it was his vision that was. Um, kind of usurped by some of that stuff. I don't know, but I, I would just love to see that. I'd love to see some of that stripped out and let the actors do what they do. Yeah. Because I think, I think it's an actor's movie at the end of the day, but, but I was also, I noticed a couple little things like the bird, the dead bird, which mm-hmm. is a heartbreaking little scene. And then later it gets dug up and turned up yeah. by the, you know, yeah. little things like that, little foreshadowing things and, and kind of symbolism that there's, I didn't notice. There's a, a lot. Kid. What's interesting is that there is a lot of, Material. There is a lot of stuff there. There's a lot of Easter eggs and a lot of little things. And thematically, it's it is. There is a lot of thematic material in it, right? Yeah. It starts with the television and the the national anthem, right? Mm-hmm. And a close up of the screen of the TV. So, it's it's a critique. It's saying that it's a critique of a, a modern American lifestyle and stuff somehow. Mm-hmm. But it really doesn't ever make good on that thing it, it it just kind of announces things that it's about but it, then it doesn't really explore them very much I would agree one with that. thing that i was surprised at at this viewing is that i thought that the fact that they were building on n- native burial ground yeah was in this movie but it yeah. doesn't come in until the second one they don't really bring it up it's it's they just it's move mentioned. the graves and it's so funny tony so i cheated and I wrote, this is a great point you bring up. And this is a great point about like trying to review these things. I wrote in my notes, what a brilliant choice. And I wrote in quotes, the Native American thing, meaning what I thought was going to be revealed is in my memory that it was the right. Native American burial ground they're on. I wrote the Native American thing. The sun's got the quote, blood from the trees, i.e. sap probably all over his face. I wrote land, nature, the bloody streaked face of an American the you know uh, what you said the the star spangled banner um the symbolism there that the tree literally the ground is trying to swallow the kid in the name of the native americans and i'm like when and then i get to the end of the movie and i crossed it out i'm like there was no mention no. of native americans because you you know they set up all this um ghost watching equipment and video cameras and stuff which is cool because that's kind of the first time we really saw a lot of that stuff amazing like, you know props for that um and but all the ghosts that we see there's like this hell exodus of spirits yes. that seem to be coming out of the house and yeah. they're all like western people like american like yeah. people with fedoras on they're not they're not Miners native and stuff. people yeah. they're not they're they're just like 
local folks who yes. used to live here, you know, 25 years ago. And I don't know. They, they, they keep on making good on, like, they don't make good on these things that they say they're going to do. Like, even in the sense that it's called Poltergeist. And if you know about that stuff, like you said, a big factor in Poltergeist uh, encounters is apparently teenage kids, particularly yes. teenage girls. That the theory being that perhaps this this is generating out of their um, somehow out of themselves, or that it's something outside that's interested in them because they're coming of age or something, right? Attracted to that, yes. And but the teenage girl here, Dominic Dunn, is always away. She's not really. She has no character to play, really. She's like she's just the airhead daughter, whatever kind of joke thing that they that they do, which is a little bit of a disservice to her because she's oh, a good actor and every time she's and, on screen her performance is so good like yeah cut away to her several times they also cut away to the sun in the midst that's another surprise of mine I, I i made note of that they they you know in the most incredible moment of carol ann getting sucked into the closet for the first time and all her drama and chaos he keeps cutting back to the sun and I just thought it was so brilliant, uh, the son's expression. I, when, when, when directors are able to get that level of performance out of kids, be it Dominic Dunn, the son, or the little one, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, the three of them across the board are brilliant. And um, Well, Spielberg is, you know, he's a master with kids, like working uh, with kids and getting uh, performances out of them. And that's really, it's really true, like, that you can't really, you, you can't debate that. I, and, and I don't think, knowing what I know about Toby Hooper, who I I've heard is a, was a good guy, uh, but he just didn't seem like the kind of person that would relate to children somehow. Yeah, you know, like that yeah. that wouldn't have been his job on this. Right, set. that's why I was, I was that. That's what I was alluding to in the beginning without coming out and saying it because I didn't want to come out with everything. But like I felt like maybe that's why the that and I could be wrong, but I felt like that's why the moments I loved might have been more Spielberg touched than Hooper touched. I don't, but I well, could be wrong. I don't know. I I think you know. You don't I mean don't underestimate Toby Hooper because Toby Hooper is is you know he was a smart guy and he made sure. arguably you know the most terrifying movie in in movie history I mean a lot of people think Texas Chainsaw is is like the ultimate terrifying film and I, I can't disagree with that it's it is a <laughs> it is a traumatizing experience it's a tough watch and it still is you know yeah there are you know you could pick it apart it's a B movie made by college students. So yeah, it has some problems and it's got, it's not, it doesn't have great performances in it except for Leatherface, who's kind of amazing in it actually. Um, so, but think about the screams you heard in that movie. Think about the kind of terror that those characters at their worst were under. And that's to me, Dominic Dunn screaming, What's happening? That's that's Toby Hooper. She has some moments, Fair. for instance, where she She's is so like good. flipped out, screaming so yes. in terror, uh -huh. and that's that's something I've never really seen Spielberg be like be able to do because he seems to always be afraid that he's going to push it too far and alienate somebody in the audience. Okay, like his choices with actors, as great as the actor is, always seems to me to be like great sugarcoat it button it up make it pretty and we'll shoot it not my favorite thing at the end of the day and i think spielberg's best performances still 
are in Jaws and in Close Encounters. And primarily in Jaws, and that's because he didn't even know enough to talk to the actors then. <laughs> like, he he really just let these movie stars do their thing, I think, and let them alone. And uh, to me, that those performances are, are kind of titanic, whereas I think these are great actors doing making great characters and then being forced sometimes to do schmaltzy kind of like Disney versions of stuff because mm-hmm. Spielberg's afraid of alienating people, which is weird because he's made a movie for kids that has got some of the most graphic you're going to see. Right. It's a well, strange I, movie that way. You you may be right. And, and I don't know, obviously I wasn't on the set. I was 13 or whatever, but, um, yeah, and that that my instinct on that could be reversed in in some cases, um, you know. But one of the other, th- so I feel like this movie is kind of like three different little movies. Right. And the first half is like awesome and first on half point. is yeah. Oh my god. Oh. Right. And and it's yeah. it, 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 it the performances are great. It's kind of funny. It's surprisingly funny and quirky. The characters' reactions to the phenomenon is perfectly tuned to me. There is no dubwaring. <laughs> Everyone handles it in a realistic way. Everyone's great. About halfway through it, about an hour in, it becomes almost like this chamber piece drama with the actors with no special effects or in between special effects are just acting. Like there's this scene between the mom, Joe Beth Williams, and the parapsychologist of them whispering to each other, having this kind of, which I totally forgot about, this kind of like woman to woman connection that's so beautiful. There's a lot of whispering in that section of the movie um, and a lot of great up close acting performances. And then the third part gets all hell breaks loose and you get a lot of the special effects and the stuff that the movie is kind of known for. I think I really loved a lot of that middle section that I'm referring to the acting moments and a lot of the beginning. Uh, and then the rest is, is, is kind of a rough watch actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree on that on the end being a bit of a mess and, um, you know, I mean, but you know, I have to stop and think. Like, is it a mess? It's a pretty lean movie, which I usually like. Honestly, I feel like this—they took too much meat off the bones. I really feel like, okay, for instance, I I really like Craig T. Nelson as an actor. I just think he's a kind of a cool personal personality, and he has a cool take on stuff. He's very relaxed and kind of you know, um, easy easy going. And um, I loved his character. I thought he did great character work, and they really drop him completely in that second half of the movie. And I know it really is Joe Beth's story in a way, but it was really both of their story. And and his whole track emotionally just gets completely ignored. Well, it gets me. it gets fast forwarded so quickly. So he's kind of aloof and disbelieving, and then he starts to believe it. And then all of a sudden, like when the when the bad thing happens, he goes from. Aloof, curious, you know, stay out of the kitchen until I figure this out, right? And then there's a bad incident that happens, and they just like smash cut to him at at the at at the parapsychologist's collegiate campus office. I, I don't know. We don't know how he found them. We don't know. And he's just black circles under his eyes, mm-hmm. and he's broken. We see. So it goes from zero to a hundred with Greg yeah. D. Nelson. Do you know what I mean? I I, I do, and I think that you don't was a see cool the generation. But then I get. Then I'm like. I, I think exactly what when you say Dubois, part of that Dubois-ing is is what I what I miss, and it doesn't have to be disbelief, but I want to see the process by which they looked up. How did they find a parapsychologist? Exactly. Where did they go? There's no road. I mean, there's not a roadmap, and I and I feel like 
that's part of you know Spielberg's greatness and his trap is that he's constantly just trying to he keeps it rolling so fast it's it's like the it's like the the boulder and Indiana generators lost Ark. it just it comes down so fast that I've I end up missing a lot of the things that make a horror movie pleasurable which is you know drawing some things out letting me see yes. how or why for instance like Zelda Rubenstein I love her performance I think she's a great actor but but for she says there's things that just don't make sense okay and, and that bothers like, me like what she's on the record as saying I've never done anything like this like I've seen I, I this is worse than I've ever seen she actually kind of says that to to Joe Beth Williams like right you know I've never yep. done this either so right this, this house she's is next in the level. deep end next level um so why don't we get to see her trying to figure out how to solve the problem she just instantly has a solution two tennis balls and a rope and we're gonna do it right i'm like i missed i missed the tension of figuring out if we how to do this what could we do and because of, because of fast tracking the action so much for me a lot of the interesting details of like get to know these paranormal investigators a little bit more they were a bit like sitcom characters i could they could have been deepened a little bit they their technology could have been explained a little bit more not in a you know a, in an info dump way but just you know so there's things about the script that i have a problem with why is for instance why do we have to learn that he's that craig t nelson's a a real estate developer guy when he tells his son about it, like he's putting his son to bed and he goes, well, you know, I have a job as a real estate guy. And it's like, what? He knows that you don't ever tell since ever since I sold these units, I've right. been living here. son. But there's, a, there's like this insecurity throughout the movie and it's in the script. It's in the, it's in some of it altogether that, that, that frustrates me. Cause I'm like, I'm, I like this. Yeah. Don't, don't right. worry. Like, yeah. don't try to entertain me so much. Just tell the story and I'll be, I'm there with you. Yeah. Like Zelda Rubenstein. Um, we don't know where she comes from. No, um, no idea. We assume that that paranormal team has worked with her before and they make reference to that later. I guess they say she's good or whatever. Uh, she's the best at the, in the business, but and, and as lovely and amazing as her entrance is, which I loved, by the way, it was. Sure. It, it, but it's an this, entrance. Well, right. Like, it's an it's a grand entrance, yeah. and and so the camera backs off. Everyone kind of clears the hallway. There's a beat, which I love. It's like you know, here she comes, or here whoever is going to be comes, mm -hmm. and it's this diminutive in quotes, sure, uh, in stature, right. uh, physical stature, I should say. Uh, Zelda Rubenstein, Tangina coming around the corner, and it's one of the most glorious entrances in 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 movie history. I love how he does it. Uh, and it was almost analogous to it reminded me of it was like and i wonder if he was almost playing off this something like um max von Sydow arriving at the exorcist outside the house like that iconic shot but this is inside and everyone just kind of clears the path for her but okay, yeah we don't know who she is yeah that's the thing like and we don't know who she got grand there. entrances work better when you're expect like you have an expectation right yes yes so and it's it, like we don't get to be surprised that she's a person of short stature we don't get to be surprised that she's a southern belle we, we, she just shows up and it's like oh okay right. that's who and, you and, are and craig t nelson goes right back here's another thing that's very inconsistent so i i mentioned earlier 
Craig T. Nelson goes from zero to 100 in terms, we don't get to see the degeneration really. He goes from kind of doubting to the, and all of a sudden he's broken in the room. I don't care what you do, just save my daughter. Literally next scene, smash cut to Zelda Rubenstein making her entrance and he's back to, <laughs> hold on, I'm going to use some, uh, yeah. I'm going to use yeah. some ESB to contact this whack job. It's like two seconds ago, literally, you were broken and begging for any help you could get. Right. And now because the script needs you, needs a cynic to, by the way, the only point of that scene was to prove that she's good. The point of that scene was to prove that Tangina could read minds. So you got to have the cynic. Oh, I make it the dad. But it's like, you just showed us he was broken and willing to do anything. And now he's sarcastic looking for ESP connections. You know, it's, it's just like, yeah, it's just inconsistent. Well, it's, yeah, it's inconsistent. And the, and the sad part to me is that I think that's the kind of thing that actors can get blamed for. Right. That's not right. Craig T. Nelson's. No, the performance awful. is great. Yeah, I mean, he, he's doing what he's asked to do. He's doing right. the script he's given. He's trying right. to make this stuff work. But you know, p part of directing actors and where I think Spielberg, like we've just we've said ad nauseum, yeah, he just pushes it and he wants he just wants to sugarcoat stuff. He wants icing on everything. He wants he wants everything to be, you know, hyper more than more than hyper real and 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 everything to have impact and every emotion to come through and the manip then manipulating these performances sometimes to me it really comes out in these all inspired close-ups and in this movie i'm just going to argue with you if you went back and watched the close-ups from close encounters right which are the same kind of push-ins and awe inspired looks you'd i think you'd see a much more refined button-down version of it mm. where the looks were actually timed better technically to the action that was going on in the room or the special effect they changed a lot during the course of that last act there was a variety of different kinds of emotions that all these characters some of whom we never met were were going through from fear to exaltation to everybody in this movie has kind of to me when they do those close-ups like just just a blank stare of 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 amazement huh. and it's like they just said do it 37 times and we'll just pick ones in the editing room that that we like so they didn't feel like there was as much storytelling going on in, in those close-ups as there are in other spielberg movies um it felt like he was scared of how scary this movie because well, this movie has some terrifying stuff in it let's just sure be does. real because sure there's does. some love we have some love to throw at it i know oh, definitely um, but, but, you know, I think part of Spielberg's fear that we can sense in the movie is like, well, I'm really pushing it with this heart. It's like a really scary movie, but I'm really pushing it for little kids, which mm. was a big deal when it came out. People were like, this isn't for you. This is seen through the half of it's seen through the eyes of a six year old. It's like you're, you're making a Disney movie and then you're freaking them out, which is kind of what I love about it. <laughs> so it's yeah. weird. I just, I disagree not disagree philosophically with what you're saying. I just didn't experience that. I thought every look, I, I thought the acting performances were surprisingly great. Yes. Even the looks I bought uh, the terror on everyone's face, hers, his, the kids um, there, but, but these delicious moments like that, I just wanted to eat up. Like, you know, there are scenes where actors are just asked to act with no special effects, okay? So the Joe Beth Williams, the daughter goes through me scene. If you can watch that and not get a little lump in your throat, then I don't think we can be friends. And then there's this scene right after that or nearly after that, they basically have to have dialogue with their missing daughter who's they can hear her disembodied voice where Craig T. Nelson has to like get mad at her. 
and Joe Beth Williams is fighting that. And as an actor, I'm watching that, watching two actors act to nothing. There's no green screen. They're not hearing a voice in real life. It was such a magnificent, heartbreaking scene when he has to threaten to spank his daughter. You know, it's like, and, and then the moments like that in between stuff that was inconsistent and just looked bad, quite frankly, we get yeah. pieces of character development. We get incredible performances with no special effects. It's like, I want more of that. I want 45 minutes more of that and 20 minutes less of Disney World Haunted House. Friends are restrained. What? Who, who's restraining her? There are many arms about her. She thinks it's safe. Quickly, who is she more threatened by, you or your husband? Neither. Uh, Steve decides the punishment the okay, children are That's not fair. I write about have. it later. Stephen, make Carol Ann answer you. Carol Ann? Be cross with her. Stead. Be angry with her. You'll never see her again. Carol Ann, I want you to answer me. Tell her if she doesn't answer you, she's going to get a spank. Oh, come on. I've never spanked a children. Honey, please just tell her. Carol Ann, you answer your parents or you're going to get a real spanking from the both of us. It's an uncomfortable mix. A very Disney, Disney vibe, you know, Disney of a certain, of a certain period of like, you know, 70s, 80s Disney. I think it's probably more modernized now, although I don't keep up with Disney stuff really. But, but, you know, it just, there used to be a catchphrase for stuff that just felt sugary or schmaltzy or not realistic. And, and, uh, you know, they were in a tough jam here. They're making a movie that kids have got to go see and they wanted to hire Toby Hooper. I mean, come on. I mean, that's a sick. That's yeah. a sick thing to do. It kind of is. And yeah. part of me feels like I just wish Spielberg had owned the sickness just, just a little bit it. more. Went yeah. for it more. You know, yeah, um, yeah. little. It gets a little new agey, mumbo jumbo-y, like with the description of what's going on. I, 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 Beatrice Strait. I love. She's a great actress. Again, it's a script thing for me. I just felt like. Um, Joe Beth Williams is there buying this Kool-Aid that she's putting out about what this all means. And it's like, you know, no, we don't, we all don't know what this means. Don't, right. don't tell us what this is. Don't, don't put like some happy, you know, new age spin on this. I, we don't know. And I felt like I didn't really need that so much. I wish they'd had a slightly different conversation with right. same Beatrice Strait, same hush tones, all of yeah, it. Yeah, right, know? right. Here's the thing. Like, I, I, I felt like the pressure was on for me to enjoy myself very quickly. The opening is genius. I could, okay, the dog coming in, the whole opener with the dog going around is like one of my greatest openers. That's... The TV is terrifying, all fantastic. And then the movie kind of resets. You have the scary kind of teaser, and then the credits start, and we have like upbeat Jerry Goldsmith score. It's very kind of like happy stirring you know morning music right and we follow this bozo with a case of beer on a child's bicycle through the streets of this cul-de-sac neighborhood and it turns into like gilligan's island level of like goofy goofiness like not just it's not funny it could have just been humorous or or charactery kind of funny but but like a little bit less crazy no he's got to spill the beer and he takes like spritzing cans of, of beer into it's the like house which is spurting on everyone and it's the... like and nobody says anything about it so and like the... yeah so the reality for me in horror 
it has to be really, really buttoned down because I need to believe this. I need to believe what's going to happen because I have a lot of belief to suspend right later on. So don't throw stuff at me that's just not re at all real. Like, okay, have a, have a jerk friend who comes over and does something stupid, but if he's spraying beer all over your den, someone's going to say, what are, what are you doing? Take it <laughs> out of here. And they don't. And I, I that just erosion happened a lot for me the workman crazy workman why why goofy crazy workman leaning in and eating her chili and being like oh it's real good mrs you know what why and then like like overtly uh that's weird sexualizing the daughter and the mother just looking out and yeah. oh they, men will be men they straight up sexually harass this poor girl in <laughs> yes. her backyard in front of yes. her mother and yes. her mother goes uh-huh <laughs> By really the way, weird. that dude is in uh, Predator. He was in Predator. Good eyes, man. Right? That construction worker is the guy in Predator, the, the uh, Native American in Predator who cuts his own chest. Yeah, and damn, is he good in Predator. Yeah, he is. He, I wish they gave him something like that to do here, but... Yeah. That's a problem. Like, that's really, like... So, what is that... So what's that there to show us, Maddie? Why is it there? Is is she a bad mom? Is she is she negligent? Is that what she pays for later by having to rescue her? That she becomes a better mom at the end? They don't develop that. No, it's it's You're because just... they wanted a quirky, funny scene of the daughter doing that middle finger thing that someone yeah. thought of, you know. And right. same with, um, you know, what you what you just mentioned something earlier. I go, the only reason they put that in there was for that. The oh, the beard guy. thing. Yeah, the beard thing. Like that's the click off with the clickers. Yeah, yeah. It's like this is just a cute little suburban moment to show yeah. that they're a suburban family, but there's no reality to that. Like you don't have a click off with each other's TV. Right. Like, well, uh, think back to like how how the scenes in Close Encounters are are also really funny but they're not jokey right right they're just real like right. really they're funny people so the scenes have life and they're funny the characters are funny themselves but they're not asked to do jokes and i was like we don't need that here talk about the special effects because when you not 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 any of the bad ones we've talked about but but the I'm going to call them close encounters special effects that were directly the same technique used in the truck, that kind of reverse, you know, sucking away of material, that backwards shooting of material. Yeah. Was it the same technique? Was it used the same way? What do you know about that? Because those seem like are stunning. You mean the truck when he's inside his truck and, it, and everything starts flying around the cab? Correct. Like yeah. that type of thing was used in her bedroom, for example. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, that's some of the stuff that really worked. I, you know, definitely. They, they they built the whole the whole set, the whole house set, on a gimbal, and they literally could just rotate it like a Ferris awesome. wheel. You know, awesome. And and so awesome. What's, it's awesome, but it's a little freaky when you realize, oh my God, little Heather O'Rourke was also in that tumbling house, and geez, man, that's some, that's scary. It um, is scary. They put the actors through a lot mm. on this movie. They mm. really did. It was very, <laughs> they were beaten up. Joe Beth Williams um, up on the up on the uh, the ceiling and the walls, and that was an incredible scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's stuff like, look, there's stuff I love. Like I talked about the dog, the buildup of the family, you know, uh, it was genius. And and there are some, I'll talk, like what, actually there were things that actually really scared me this time though. Like I, I, I was surprised at how effective the people in the TV concept is. And yes. how 
when she first starts talking to them and she's yes. kind of in a trance. Yes, answering and their questions. She's like, yes, no, I don't know. Freaked she, out. She goes five, as if yeah. they asked her her age. How many? Like, oh, yeah. my God. And I bet you that was Spielberg or Hooper right off camera. Her age asked, or how many people in the house? <laughs> so like that, she was, that was terrifying. Like, Fantastic. I, I, now, I see, was, that's all they needed. More of that. That's all they needed. And, and, and talk about again, like practical effects versus the, the, the special effects, that scene we talked about earlier that I brought up the haunted house museum where they open yeah. the door later in the movie, Joe Beth Williams is walking in the silent house. There's no music. There's no nothing. And she looks at the door and she misses her daughter and she opens that same door and you hear this demonic scream and she shuts it and her reaction is incredible. It's like, why didn't you do that on that? Uh, uh, that's all you had to do in the same scene with the setup with the parapsychologist say, oh, I've seen this before and then have her go <gasps> and shut the door. It would have been so much better. It would have been because then it would have been the exorcist <laughs> right, they stole right. it from the exorcist yeah that's true that's the true it is literally lifted yeah yeah which is fine because if you're going to steal from something yeah, why not it, it, it's a good moment it, it really is and uh, it's a testimony to you know the cast like you said uh, you know how how i still have warm feelings about this movie that's like oh i've been very okay <laughs> we've we've been that, we, okay we beat up this movie a lot okay i still have a lot of affection for it and i still have things about it that bring me back to when I was a kid and I still have things that I see that that I love um but it's kind of like a greatest hits in and of itself mm. like it feels like it feels like listening to I don't know like whatever that like the Eagles greatest hits I was album just going to say the Eagles greatest hits <laughs> you know where where it doesn't have the sense of a whole out like a whole record that somebody create you know like that's thought out thematic it's just like hit after hit after hit but and it's got these important cool scenes, but yeah I was half joking, but it's true. Like this is punching up. Like this movie is going, it's getting a P for paranormal from me and okay. it's going on the shelf, but it's got major problems too. Um, yeah. And it, and as you said so well, it can take it, it can handle it. We could sit here for an hour and just drool over the famous scenes of it. But I was surprised by how uneven it was. Um, a lot of strobe lights too. That was the other thing I forgot. Like, Wow, that this very just what Academy Award for best for most use of strobe lights. Yeah, very strobe and then also, I felt like there were just like that design. I was like, could we? Get, we we started leaning into the Close Encounters vibe, like the lights and the effects in the closet mm. started feeling very technological mm -hmm. in a way, rather yes. than rather than organically supernatural. Yes. I don't know. Yes. That was a little weird for me. Yeah, it did get a little UFO-y. Um, Although I guess it was mirroring the, the flickering light of the television, which is probably why oh, they did that's it. That's cool. That's but cool. I don't know that I loved it because it just felt like a spaceship was landing rather than yeah. Other, you know, um, do you have a favorite line from the movie? Oh yes, I do. It's the great scene with Zelda Rubenstein's gonna go in and get the daughter, and Joe Beth Williams said, "No, I'll get it. It's my daughter." And she and she said, "You've never done this before." And then she said, "Neither of you." Yeah beat you're right go ahead <laughs> and it works use it again use it in raiders yeah, yeah. asps yeah. very dangerous you go first the same line so good so funny that 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 beat that zelda gives it is is so wonderful it's you great. Know, she thinks about it for beat you're right <laughs> yeah yeah no it's really it's really great how about you i have my favorite is kind of a throwaway this is uh craig t nelson and his boss up on the hill when they're the middle of the movie and they're talking about you know it seems like you've been upset lately craig what's uh, what's going on and he's 
he can't tell his boss what's happening. And it's right before he tells him about the cemeteries being moved. He's been at the house and his boss says, uh, so uh, how's Carol Ann? I didn't see her. And Craig D. Nelson goes, oh, she's around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. I she's love around. that. It made me laugh yeah. so hard. That was, I never really noticed that before. But That's great. That I loved. Um, can I nitpick a couple tiny other things? Please. Have you ever stayed at somebody's house as a guest? And gone in and, and decided, made yourself a steak? Decided to, to make a steak as a midnight <laughs> snack. He, he, I thought the same thing. I go, he's like, I'm going to go get something to eat. And he just like rudely takes out a <laughs> steak. Who does what? that? What are you talking? What? <laughs> I it, it stopped the movie dead because I'm like, I, I was, as a kid, that move, that scene is freaky. I mean, it's terrifying. Yeah, it's all about obviously the Obviously, they wanted right. that effect. They wanted the right. steak to explode. So they're like, yes. well, why is there going to be a steak? Yes. He's like, well, someone makes a steak out of the fridge. Well, okay, but the guy who's visiting, who it doesn't, who's really quiet, doesn't want to wake anybody up, and he creeps into the refrigerator, <laughs> he's and he's going to make a steak. His little steak. Wow. Oh, my God. And yeah, it's just so, sitting, and it's not on, it's, it's like not wrapped. No, he just puts it on the, it's, it's obviously it was sitting in the refrigerator, not even on a plate, and then he puts it on, the whole thing is oh. like, what? I'm sorry, was your family going to eat this steak? Yes. yes, I think maybe that's the kind of thing where you're like, maybe Spielberg is so rich that he just doesn't understand what people do with their own refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, 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 I it's noticed like, that too. <laughs> it's like, so. if you ever watch, I've heard other people talk about this, but it's true. If you ever watch like Tom Cruise in a movie, like try to eat a sandwich or order something at a restaurant, you're just like, you've never, you've never done that. It's like he, he'd eat like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with a f knife and fork or something <laughs> like, you know, is this what people do? I don't, hmm. <laughs> I'm going to take this knife now and spread it on the bread because that's how you make a sandwich. Nice nice Star Wars product placement, too. I think that's oh, all we need to say. Maybe a little much? There's a lot. Maybe a tad much more than they needed? Did they need all of it? Like, we saw Star Wars. We get it. Oh, yeah, I know you're friends. I know you and George are friends. Holy moly. Rub that in, yeah. Yeah. You put another bed, shed, bed spread on that bed. Well, it was distracting. It was just, it was actually distracting. Quite distracting. One or two things would have been Yeah, fun. of course. It would have given, in fact, you know, her having like the, at one point she has a Luke Skywalker in her mouth, like the daughter, the little daughter. She's, I don't know if you remember that. It's oh. when her, it's, 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 it's in the coda oh, ending. yes, yes. And that touch would have been perfect because that's right. how children act. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a real thing. There'd be a headless doll and then a Luke Skywalker in the right. If you've ever had a child, which I have had, that's how it is. They've got a toy in the mouth and then one that's broken next Right. To well, like great. the broken doll that she sleeps great. with whose head falls off. Great. Like great. Great moment. And she's amazing. Dude, I mean, Heather O'Rourke is Let's just say dude, just God bless these children for like she died way too young. Sad. And and um apparently um, kind of needlessly like she had yeah, she was misdiagnosed had, with something oh, fairly simple god and she was so pretty and so good she, she was a great she was, actor she was great um very sad this movie was plagued by a lot of yes sad strange things actually. yeah and and uh dominic dunn um uh, oh god yeah i mean dominic passed. dunn she was murdered she murdered uh oh. like right after the movie was released Man. um uh, I mean, I have a list of the strange things that happened, um, yeah. and, and and some of them are, like I, you know, you've 
decide for yourself if this means the movie's cursed. I, I don't necessarily think so, but it had mm. a lot of bad luck attached to it. I mean, mm. Julian Beck, who was in part two, died of cancer right when that movie came out. Will Sampson, the great actor, was in part two. He died not long after that movie. Uh, also famous for performing like cleansing ceremonies and exorcisms on the set of that film. Wow. Um, Heather O'Rourke, of course, died right after making part two. The author of the film novelization, James Kahn, um, reported that seconds after he wrote the line in the book, lightning ripped open the sky, that his his the building that he worked in was struck by lightning. My God. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, uh, Richard Lawson um, was in, I think, yeah, who was in who was one of the investigators in this one was on board flight 405 which crashed he survived wow lou perryman who plays pugsley also murdered in 2009 God. um and then this wasn't part of it but you have to include the twilight zone accident which happened right after making this film right after poltergeist spielberg's next movie that he produced suffered the probably the worst tragedy of uh, that ever happened on a movie set where yes. three actors were killed during killed. a stunt a complete uh need completely needless my uh, god situation and and um so yeah there's a lot of weird stuff attached to it so yeah dan Schechner, we love poltergeist <laughs> i felt bad i you know because i i because I also, I'm also <laughs> sitting there loving parts of this movie. No, I do too. I, I, it's passing for me. Look, the acting in this movie has surprised me. I would never think to call Poltergeist an actor's movie, but it is a masterclass in a few of these performances. They're consistent. They're incredible. They brought me to tears. They moved me to tears. And anytime that happens, somebody's doing something right. So I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and forgive it. A lot of the uneven things. I'd say it this way. You can't be a fan of paranormal films and not see this movie and get something out of it. I don't think, I think it has to be on our shelves. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not really going to debate it. I'll, 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 yeah, it's, it, it belongs on the shelf, I guess. It's just, I could have been in a worse mood and maybe fought you on that and been like, you take closer call, than, closer call than you thought. It, it Definitely. I was really, I was surprised. I was really surprised. Yeah, I was too, actually. Um, I was too. And, and, uh, you know, and it wasn't, I, it wasn't a good surprise. Like I was like, no. all buckled in to be like, I'm going to have the greatest experience. And same, you know, the, the native American thing is fascinating too, that you and I both kind of maybe partly because we knew the, the true story that it was loosely based on mm -hmm. and partly probably because of part two that that was kind of mixed up in our head that a little bit. I, I, I just kept waiting for the native American. No, actually not in the movie. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. It's That's not in the movie. It's, it's really surprising. And the fact that there's so many Stanley Kubrick esque uh, Easter eggs that point to that, that leads you to that, that you think it's going there. And I refuse to believe that they held on to over the second movie. You know, like we're going to do this movie and then reveal the, I, I just don't believe that. I think they just, didn't add it in or or, or forgot it doesn't, or got, it doesn't seem like it was ever considered in this movie i i was really surprised um i really felt like there could have been another like a, 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 a an additional plot line of of 
Craig T. Nelson going off to try to find out a little bit more about this. Not just yes. one scene with his boss, but yes. where his boss just info dumps. Yes. But, like, investigating it a little bit. Like, fi- trying to find out what the solution is. And, and it's like, they were like, well, that's not, kids won't like that. I feel like they said. Like, It'll be boring. Kids will be put them to sleep. Bad sign that the movie is two hours long every bit of two hours and that yeah, we feel like still... there was a lot of things unexplored. That's a bad sign. You know, it if is. it's, if it's 90 minutes and we feel it's incomplete, yeah. that's one thing. I will say though, I didn't really think of it as two hours. It felt, it didn't overstay its welcome, which is remarkable for a two it's hour. It's a fun movie. watch. It is. It's a fun one. I had fun. Like I said, moved by the performances in the end, at the end, I, I really enjoyed seeing it again. I know it doesn't sound like it, but, um, it's 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 great. Classic. It's a classic horror movie. All timer. It, it it the things that work about it, I think make it shelf worthy. All timer. It, 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 it's it's um, you know, just for the concept alone and the TV people. Yeah. Like I'm 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 in. You know, you were very funny. Your hands were shaking about one minute. It isn't over. All right, Tony, so we've done, in our run-up to Halloween, we've done American Werewolf of London and Poltergeist. What is our next scary-themed paranormal film in our lead-up to Halloween? What classic? Well, uh, I remember there was some talk of The Thing that you'd never seen the original or or the second re- or the remake. I don't remember... I've never, I had, I had never sat through the original. I did when I was trapped in Canada with no television. I watched it on net, on my and, uh, computer. And by original, you mean the one from the fifties? No, no, because they made like a second one, like recently. That one we don't talk about, Maddie. <laughs> All right, we I don't. I meant the Kurt Russell one. The Kurt Russell one is a remake of oh, is, is the remake the remake of the fifties. The remake of the Kurt Russell one will not be discussed or named. <laughs> we should do that one. <laughs> Just to, all right. Um, you want to do so, the? Uh, you know, I mean, why don't I go back since I just saw the thing Kurt Russell version? Yeah, or as I like to call him, Chris Robinson's ex father in law. That's that's how he should be known. <laughs> I'm sure he loves that. Do you want me to go back? Should I watch the original and then we can compare and contrast the two? I don't see any reason why not to. The things? The the things. Let's do the things next week so everybody catch up on your things. Yeah, this will be a one-two punch. I love it. This will be a one-two punch. So just to be clear, we're watching the original The Thing from 19, I think, 1955. All right? It's a black and white movie, old 50s sci-fi movie. And then... We're all going to watch The Thing, directed by John Carpenter, starring Kurt Chris Russell. Robinson's ex-father-in-law. And that's where we're going to stop. And we're not going to watch. And then I'm going to watch the third one, and as bonus content, no, do you my won't. own review on it. I'm not going to let you do it. Just to okay. drive you crazy. Well, you can. it's up to you, but that's not what we're covering technically on the show. This episode is now clean. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of Rated P for Paranormal. Please rate, review, and share. It really does make a difference. For more information, to participate, and even donate, go to our main page, anchor.fm slash ratedparanormal. On social media, we're at ratedparanormal. All music is by Andrew Goldens Jr. You can find him on Instagram at kidriga, or go to therocketscience.bandcamp.com. 
This podcast was created, written, produced, and edited by Maddie Blake and Anthony Arkin.